This is Toastcaster, podcast for Toastmasters. Your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 70, Road to the World Championship, Las Vegas, with Russ Dantu, part two. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster podcast for Toastmasters. We have a special guest with us today, and we're doing a recording live. He was with us in episode 57, Russ Dantu, when he was on his road to Las Vegas after winning the international speech contest at the district level for District 42, and he was on his way to the semifinals. Russ, it's good to have you here today. Thanks so much, Greg. Uh, Wonderful to be here with you. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I know you didn't win, and sorry about that, but you came pretty close. I mean, you made it to top 10 at the finals. Tell us a little bit about that journey. There's a standing joke because they only announced first, second, and third. What we're supposed to say is the rest of us tied for fourth. So uh, I first said I, I placed in the top ten, and I had several people say to me, "No, no, no, you don't say that." So that was a, a little bit of a funny anecdote. Absolutely amazing experience. I was so glad I was uh, able to take that journey. Loved it. Met some fabulous people along the way, and it's definitely opened up some doors for me. Okay, so you left. You just okay. So you arrive in Las Vegas. What are the mechanics? How does it work? <laughs> well, you know what? We actually flew down there on the Monday. I wanted to get there and acclimatize myself, find my way around Caesar's Palace. And I was so glad I did because, <laughs> as you know, everything in Vegas is super size. So our room was in one tower and it was about a 10-minute walk, a brisk walk to get, get to the actual ballrooms where everything took place. So that was the first thing we did. Um, found out beer's very, very expensive in Caesar's Palace there. You're talking about, it was almost uh, thirteen fifty for a, a can of Coors Light. <clears throat> but I wanted to find out where the rooms were that I would be speaking in. I wanted to find rooms where stages were already set up so I could get in, sneak in, and practice ahead of time. And just wanted to really feel out the hotel, know my way around, get myself settled in, uh, find out where all of the amenities were just to make that part, take that part out of it. The other thing is if we flew in any later, if there were any delays in that, then I'd be in panic mode. If they lost my luggage, I'd be in panic mode. That extra day would give me time if I had to go and buy a new suit or something like that. That was the first part of the journey. Absolutely fabulous. Did you actually manage to get some stage time? Yeah, you know what? It was incredible. And what I didn't understand was I've got lots of stage time practicing on little stages in the room and nobody else was coming in. None of the other competitors, which I thought was amazing because you can find your way around a hotel, even if doors are locked, to get in the back way and into these rooms and that. Uh, Another thing that was really cool was Lance Miller, my coach, 2005 world champion of public speaking, uh, agreed to meet me at 1.30 on the Wednesday, the day before the semifinals. Afternoon, right? In, in the afternoon, <laughs> yeah. So I meet him in the lobby of, of Caesar's Palace, and you know, there's probably 50 or 60 people that came up and say, hey, Lance, Lance, hey, and he's giving hugs and, and that because he's a celebrity, obviously. Of course, absolutely. And, uh, and then he said to me, hey, Russ, I'm just waiting for one other competitor. I'm helping coach. Are you cool with that? And I said, well, absolutely. So he, he was waiting for uh, Manoj uh, Vasudevan, um, who eventually went on to place third in the world. So he said, guys, I'm taking you out of here. We're going to find a stage 
uh, outside. I've got connections, so we'll have a nice quiet place to ourselves. So we're thinking, hmm, where are we going and everything? And uh, he pulls up in front of the Las Vegas Church of Scientology. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's going on here? But as, as many of you know, he is a Scientologist. And he took us in, and we had the whole stage, the sermon area there. We, he spent about an hour and a half with each of us, just giving up his time to help us. And Manoj sat and watched me, then I watched Manoj. And it was absolutely incredible, uh, the learning that went on in that three hours uh, of watching him work with Manoj and working with me. And, you know, we'd start our speech. We'd do the whole thing first, uh, a little bit of clapping. And he'd say, okay, do it again. And I'd get about five words in. He'd go, no, 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 stop. And he'd get off the stage. He'd go up on the stage. He said, why are you doing this? And he'd say, try this. And so we'd try it. And he goes, okay, go to the next section. We'd do that. No, 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 stop. Um, and, it, and the way he worked through every section of it, and, in, you know, in your head, you're making mental notes, trying to remember every little thing he's saying to help you set the anchors on the stage, where you should be at each part of your speech. And a lot of them, I had them already, but just like slight shifts or when you're gesturing a slightly different approach to the gesture, it was eye-opening for me working at that level. And it, it was very humbling to see where I am in uh, my development and where I can still go. So I learned so much from him. Excellent. Taking a little bit of a step back. Now, the last time we spoke, you had finished. You had won a district. You were traveling around to many clubs, mm. including, of course, that's where we talked the last time. You came up to Edmonton to one of the Saturday morning clubs and yeah. you ran through your speech. Now... At that point, what did you do after that in terms of preparation? Was your speech pretty much done at that point, or did you actually go and get more help, or did you make any changes to it? You know what, my, my first speech, um, well, my district-winning speech, after I came to Edmonton, I, I did tell the audience, depending what you say here today, I may or may not dump this speech, because I do not believe it is strong enough to win at the semifinals. And a lot of people love that speech, but I actually did decide to dump it. I was going to use those who judge you. I wanted that to be on the final stage if and when I made it to that point. But I didn't think my other speech was going to be strong enough. So I moved those who judge you up to my semifinals. And that was pretty much set after after I visited Edmonton. And that was in what mid-July. And I started working on another speech that I had used quite a bit when I'm speaking in schools and that, A Simple Act of Kindness, which talks about uh, a lady that came into my life, a guidance counselor, when I was going down a very bad pathway uh, in junior high. And she helped get me back on the right path. And I do credit her actually for saving my life because the road I was going on uh, took the life of one of my dear friends that didn't accept the help. Uh, It's funny, A Simple Act of Kindness, that was my one that I used on the world stage that day before, after I'd won the semis, I'm on a stage with Lance Miller uh, practicing and I'm still using notes because I'm making some serious, serious changes and the ending just wasn't there and I'm still, I'm still coming in at about 7.30. Um, So I had to cut out 50, 60 words and Lance said to me, he says, I don't know what you're going to do with the ending, Russ, but you're going to have to work on it. And he says, you know what? You've got about 24 hours. He says, takes uh, you can practice your speech about five times an hour just because you're gonna stop and stumble and that he says so you can do this 120 times before the big show tomorrow he says I'm suggesting that you do it 20 times okay I did it 40 times 40 times he's telling me 20 so I said I better do this at least 40 so when I presented it on the Saturday in the world championships that was the first time anybody had heard 
my new clothes. And Lance was very impressed. He, he really liked it and that. But um, I knew I was up against it going into the finals because my speech lacked a lot of levity. It's such a key component. And there seems to be a shift in the last, I don't know, five, seven, eight years where humor, the component of humor is so much more prevalent in all of the world championship speeches. I remember years ago, Ed Tate said, heart wins out over humor. I'm not sure if he would still say that, but I do believe that you've got to have an awful lot of humor in your speech uh, to make sure you're going even to a very serious speech needs a little bit of humor to just break that tension break yes. that ice just a little bit mm. i'm still i'm still picturing you finishing in edmonton i'm sure there are people listening that are thinking hmm maybe i can take on russ so maybe i want to learn how to compete better so i'm still curious i'm not sure if i'll do that i like to stick to my humorous speeches but one never knows Which you're fabulous at <laughs> thanks a lot <laughs> when you finally decided so just to make sure we're clear the title of the speech that you decided that you were going to use at the semis was which one again? Those who judge you. Those who judge you. Once you got to a point where it was fairly close, what did you do at that point? Did you make any further changes to it? Did you get some guidance? What did? How did you finalize that speech? That's a great question. After I decided I was going to use that speech, I left that one alone, I'd say probably two and a half weeks before the uh, going to Las Vegas because I needed to spend some time on the other speech because I knew it wasn't uh, nearly where it needed to be. Uh, a simple act of kindness that there was parts of it I was using in schools, but to create that speech when I first started writing it, which was about three weeks before, and that was one okay. thing I would suggest that you start a lot sooner, even though I had the key components and knew what I wanted to say, that speech was over 1,400 words when I started. Ouch. And, you know, the final one was about 850 words on the day of the performance. The day before, it was still over 900 words. So uh, I started working on that because I knew I was behind the ball on that. I didn't leave myself enough time to find more levity in it. I may use that at a later time when I compete again and rebuild it. I've done that with several speeches and been successful before, so we'll see. I mean, after competing for so many years and not, uh, I'm a slow learner, um, I'm running out of material, I think. <laughs> I don't think so. I think your journey is just beginning, Russ. Well, I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> so you got it down to that 850 words, you said? Yeah, but how hard was that to cut those words and how did you decide what to cut? <sighs> My good friend Charles Mohammed said to me one year, he said, Russ, sometimes you got to give up your babies for adoption. <laughs> and, and it's like, whoa, Charles, that's very harsh. And he goes, well, I don't mean it in the sense where, you know, a lady, a mum actually has to do that. He says, but sometimes you look at your speech and you got to cut out some words that you really, really want to keep. And Lance Miller uh, also says, pick your favorite child. I mean, how hard is that to do? But you have to look at your speech and say, does this forward my message and take it where it needs to go? And even though you might have a very funny point in there, if it doesn't add to it, then sometimes you have to let it go. And there were certain parts, I, I can't name them off the top of my head, but I had to let them go. I learned a lot about brevity as well. How do we take that speech from a 1400 word speech down to 850 and getting rid of all the jargon and learning to say something in 50 words that was 250 to start. So it's a very mind-numbing, tough process where you're throwing paper around the room and screaming at yourself, but very rewarding when it all comes together. Did you continue to get guidance right up until the semifinals? Uh, yes, I did. 
when I got a little closer, uh, my uh, club MVP Advance were super supportive. They beat me up on a regular basis, but it was, like I said, and they, they look at me like, come on, we didn't beat you up. But I say they beat me up with love. <laughs> they, they gave me what I needed to hear, okay? And, and many other of the places I visited, like Edmonton, there's some fabulous Toastmasters that uh, I, I trust and believe in. The same within Lethbridge, Saskatchewan, I was out there as well. And just gave me little pieces that I needed to hear in there to take in. But my main focus then was to work with Lance. And why? Uh, and, and it's with all the champs, whoever you decide to work with. They're champions for a reason. They've done something that so few actually do. So they know things and they know how to work things better than most of us do. So why would you not want to trust a champion? And that's why Lance and I got on so well, because I was open to listening to most of what he had to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so walk me through the day the day of the semifinals. How was that? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just picturing what it would be like. I mean, I remember mm. just getting to district what it was like. Yeah. So I can imagine, I mean, we're talking a really big stage. Now, I have to admit, I've had the opportunity to judge at the semifinals level and wow just watching honor. just it was a yeah it was, it was yeah. awesome in fact sometimes it's a real challenge especially yeah. when you're a judge it's just a small yeah. little things <laughs> that make a difference but what was going through your mind what were you thinking i went on such little sleep down in vegas and i don't sleep well as it is i, I don't it runs in our family but when we were down there i actually presented in saskatoon in, in last fall and uh shared my schedule of, of events for that week the day of the semifinals, I was up at 3 a.m. in the morning and out of the room by 3.30. And my wife calls me her uh, graceful elephant because as quiet as I try to be, I usually wake up the neighbors and everything. I was out of the room at 3.30. I'm down in the ballrooms uh, practicing. And I practiced till 6 o'clock. I had my workout stuff on. I went for a one-hour jog. I'd been jogging three times a week because that was more time where I could actually think and go through my my speech and and work it that way so uh, I went on from 6 till 7 I believe the sound check was at 8 30 that morning so I quickly went up had a shower had a banana and some yogurt I uh, was eating very very light that day we were one of the first contests that day because they were uh, they had 10 contests running it was four to start uh, consecutively and then three later and then three later so I was glad that I was one of the first ones running the sad thing was with four concurrent contests going there's that extra contest so your audience wasn't as large I, I want to say there was about 400 people in the room so and I remember the last time I was at the semifinals there was about 700 people in the room so I remember being so nervous the camaraderie that goes along same with that division and district you meet all these people from around the world that you're competing against and some of them I'm on Facebook now and everything so it was super cool that way and we're we're trying to keep each other cool I had about four bottles of water underneath my chair and then you start worrying oh am I gonna have to run to the washroom <laughs> something happened uh, what did I draw I think I drew number nine out of ten for speaking it got to about speaker number five and, and this is no disrespect to any of the other speakers but after the first four speakers, I thought, okay, I'm in the running here, but you never know what's going to happen. Speaker five, I don't remember the gentleman's name or what he spoke about now, but I thought, ooh, he's the guy to beat. And then the gentleman before me, I was backstage, so I didn't see him on there. His name was Prabhu from uh, San Diego, and he had polio. 
he sang in his speech and he had this connection with the audience and I'm like uh oh what's going on here now so and they, they were on his side I absolutely know they were he's a fabulous fabulous man so he came off and I congratulated him and then I'm drinking more water backstage and I'm shaking <laughs> and going trying to do my little getting myself all geared up and that but when you open those drapes and you walk out there it's like it's showtime and everything that you've put into your preparation and that comes down to that five to seven minutes and once I started speaking I was probably nervous for the first few sentences and then all of a sudden I had the audience on my side a few laughs and boom I was into it and I just loved it I watched it remotely I watched it virtually through the Toastmasters virtual conference mm. And I have to tell you, everything that you're telling me that happened beforehand, I mean, I can guess that it happened, obviously, being a Toastmaster and, and having seen some of the behind the scenes. But when you went out there, I didn't even notice those first few seconds. You, I, it was like, you're ready. It's showtime. <laughs> and it was pretty obvious. And of course, my opinion was biased, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit, I would think. But it was absolutely phenomenal. Mm. You won. Congra yeah. First of all, congratulations at Thank the semifinals. You. Thank you. You were sharing with me a little story that happened after you were done. <laughs> yes. I think this is great. <laughs> Share that with the audience. Well, well, you know, they, they hand you the trophy, they take a couple pictures quickly, and then they whisk you off the stage, and you, you want to run, and you want to hug people, and people are trying to get at you, and take pictures and everything, and it's like, no, and they grab you by the arm, and they take you out of the room, and they whisk you down this long corridor into the back, and they've got this room set up, and they've got the big umbrella, and the cameras, um, still cameras, and video cameras, and they sit you down in a chair, they quickly uh, make sure that you look okay, I'd say I'd fix my hair, but I didn't have to, um, and, and they hand you a sheet of paper and it's got like a dozen questions on they say quickly look after this uh, these are the questions we're going to ask and we're going to start in 30 seconds and I'm quickly looking down and I'm shaking because I, I it's like what is happening and I get to about question eight and it says what is the title of your speech you are using in the finals and I'm like I don't know my title I can't remember and she says don't worry about it we won't ask you that then and and I'm, and the other thing I was thinking is whatever they say don't do the uh America's Got Talent uh, line. So when they say, what does this mean to you? And I'm, whatever you say, Russ, I'm thinking to myself, don't say, oh, this means the world to me. And they get to that question, Russ, so what does this mean to you? And I said, this means the world to me. And I'm going, oh, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> uh, right, it's like somebody telling you not to see that pink elephant and you see right. that pink elephant. <laughs> So what was the purpose of the questions? Was that just the, the stage questions? No, these were questions they asked. They're doing, they were doing things a little bit different in the years, year. So they were doing video recordings and they were doing it for different promotional pieces that they said they may use at a later date to promote okay. uh, contests in general. And I think what they probably did after they had the winner, uh, Mohammed or Aditya or uh, Manoj, they probably used more of theirs for any promotional materials in the end. But they want to make sure all the semi-finalist uh, winners are uh, done that way as well. Well, with all the social media out there, Facebook, mm. LinkedIn, Twitter, all these types of things, there's lots of opportunities. And Isn't who knows, it? maybe you'll be on one of the brochures. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in their promotional video for the, the Come and See the Speech Contest on the 2016 convention uh, oh. promotion. So. Oh, Excellent. They've got one little uh, snippet of me going like that and gesturing out to, to shooting as part of my speech. So, yeah. Yeah, that bump you heard was Russ taking out part of Sorry. the wall here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Now out of curiosity, so the next step obviously is it's the finals. It's, yeah. This is it. It's the world championship of public speaking. Yeah. Out of curiosity, 
When did you start writing that speech? Well, like I said, that, you know, I, I speak in schools with our group Alienation. So parts of that speech are regular material, uh, speaking about my guidance counselor, Mrs. M., but that was only a small portion of it. I was trying to build a speech about it. The ideas were turning in my head, but I was still working on the other speech. So I just said, okay, if it's not coming, let's not work on that. But it was, it was about three, three and a half weeks before we left for Vegas that I finally started working on it. That's my one regret is, and I know that. I tell people, you know, if you're going to, if you want to compete in the international speech contest, start planning late fall. After ours, is the humor speech contest is in the fall and that. Start planning your speech then. So when you get through the holidays and into early January, you've got that speech ready to go. Uh, so leaving it then, I knew I was up against it. Having to chop that many words still uh, made it very, very tough. So it's a speech I'd like to give again. Uh, maybe revised a little bit more humor in there. A little more polished, although I was very happy with my performance. Um, no, no regrets on that front, for sure. I can imagine just preparing for one speech, but two speeches, that's insane. So now, same thing. So you, you told us a little bit about how Lance took you and Manoj aside? Yes. Okay, let's, let's, go, let's go to the finals. I'm yeah. assuming backstage, is, is it pretty much the same thing or is it a different story? <laughs> it was funny because we had our sound check on Friday evening. I remember Muhammad was saying to the contest chair and, and everyone that was there, Jessica and everybody else that was helping with it. He's going, I want to pretend to light a cigarette on stage. Is this going to be allowed? And they're like, ooh, hmm, you're sure you're not going to light it? And he goes, no. So we actually showed what he was going to do. And I went up to him after and I said, that was brilliant. And he said, oh, thank you and everything. So we got to do our little bit of stage time, do our testing and that. And uh, then I'm waiting for people to leave because I want the stage to myself. It didn't happen. So I left for a little bit and I came back around nine o'clock and there were uh, two other competitors in there. One was on the stage. One was working the far end of the room. So I went to the other far end of the room and I sort of paced out uh, because that was a huge stage. You know, it was 30 feet deep. And the last time I was on the world championship stage because they used that in the semifinals it was only 52 feet long this one was 120 feet long wow but the usable area was probably only about 60 feet because it had off ramps that shot off of it but i wanted to get a really good feel for it so i paced off in the on the floor there exactly where everything was i came and i worked there till about 11 o'clock that night and then i got to go up on the stage did that i actually hardly anybody knows this I went back at three in the morning. Um, I worked that stage till about six. But while I was there, I um, went underneath the stage and I, I had a loony and a toonie in my pocket and I duct taped it underneath. Now, when Martin Presse was in Calgary in 2008, I had access to the Calgary Telus Convention Center because I used to work there. I actually put a loony under the stage there, hoping Martin uh, would fare better than he did as well. But the significance of uh, one loony and, and a toonie underneath the stage was there was two Canadians in the finals this year, Joe Grondin from Eastern Canada and myself. So I told Joe after I was hoping for a one-two punch, where both of us, and I thought that might be the, the luck part of things. Canadian hockey team, was it? That they buried the loony or the coin uh, center ice? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think it was yes. the, oh, the Olympics. Yeah, uh, I can't the remember. Olympics, I think. Was it the Olympics? Yeah, yeah I can't hmm. remember. 
So did your final speech when you got up there, you delivered it? Same thing, pretty much. Did you felt nervous, nervous, nervous? <laughs> then you get on there, and then it's, it was a go. Or you know what they they have a green room set up, so when you're facing the stage, it, it's over in the left hand corner, and we actually have a big screen TV back there, so you can watch uh, all of the competitors before you, or you could go into another room across from the hallway. They had these little bottles of water, about the half size, about a 250 milliliter bottle of water. They had 35 in a flat in our room, and they had 35 in a flat in the other room. I'm not kidding when I say I drank 20 bottles of water. (laughs) I ran to the washroom about four times before I went on, Uh, even walking up the ramp to the back after the, the competitor before me. I was standing there and they had water up there. I drank two more bottles and it was like, oh my goodness, I am so, so nervous. But when you walk out there, they've got these big lights flashing down and all you can see is about the first three or four rows. Now, what I did different than the other competitors is as they opened the doors and let everybody in, I was walking around the room because I wanted to know where all my friends were. So I knew some of them were over to the right at the back. Some of them were closer. I knew where my wife was going to be, even though she didn't want me to know. And then I knew there were some people from Edmonton that were up on the left-hand side and closer as well. So at least when I looked over in that direction, I knew I was close to talking to where they were sitting and everything. It was an incredible, incredible experience. And uh, once I shook the hand of the Toastmaster, it was like, I've got nothing to lose now. I'm going to give it all I've got and let the chips fall where they may. And we were in Las Vegas and uh, didn't come up three sevens this time. But uh, hey, I'm, I'm hoping I'll have another opportunity. I think you did the district extremely proud. Thank you. Not to mention the fact that the world got to hear your message, I think, yeah. which was extremely important. Mm. Well, Russ, it's been an absolute blast. I mean, we could probably sit here and talk for hours. <laughs> Again, we had a conversation a little bit before. It sounds like the, the stories that you have are endless. So don't shortchange yourself and say <laughs> you don't have any more material because you've got absolutely lots. I mean, as you were speaking, I was writing down all kinds of notes and thinking about all kinds of things. And it just sounds like the possibilities are endless all right well thank you so much greg you know what i'm gonna work hard i'm gonna see maybe make a run in uh 2017 when it's in vancouver so that's right appreciate your time that's right this year the international convention is in washington 2016 next year it'll be in beautiful british columbia canada russ dantu you can reach him at russdantu.com it's been an absolute pleasure thanks everyone for tuning in this is greg gazin till the next time Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.